got some lights on. Welcome back, everyone. How's everyone's week been? Been good. Pretty good. <laughs> 70 good. smiles, nods, approval. Good. I mean, good. I guess we're just always waiting for some interesting stories. Hit us, Ron. Me? Who <laughs> oh. wants to talk about their week? I can talk about my week. I'd love to hear about your week, John. Dude. Uh, it's been really great. Uh, I've gotten a lot of work done really joyfully. Uh, yeah. Today, I got to do one of my favorite things, which is like saw sawing up wood and moving logs. Just like pure manly energy there, using uh -huh. the chainsaw. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I I met a woman recently, and I, I have a date this weekend, so nice. that's kind of exciting too. Great so. success! Yeah. Wonderful. Good for you, Joe. What's Jeff. her name? What does she do? Uh, her name is Cindy. Uh, she's a yoga instructor. Uh. She lived in uh, India for four years, uh, and. It's like a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner. Uh, so I think it's a good matchup. Uh, we'll see how yeah. it goes. Yeah. And she's really yeah. into self-sufficiency. She has a little farm herself. Uh, so, yeah. The farmers. The farmers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you find her on FarmersOnly.com? <laughs> French, French farmers only. <laughs> yeah, she's she's she is French too, but her her English is good, thankfully, because of uh, living living in India for so long. So that's helpful. Hey Parker. Hey there. Hey Parker. Good to see you guys. Uh, hey Parker. Hey. Hey. Yeah, we haven't seen you in a little while. Good to have you back, brother. Yes, it's great to see you all. Good. So Joe, uh, I was just thinking to myself. Debbie and I had a lovely weekend together, and I was thinking of how wonderful it is to be with a woman who's Sangha. And uh, I was thinking of, of all of us actually, and how it's, it's the perfect match. It's the perfect match, so. I think we're I a perfect match too, Dan. That... Sorry? I think we're a perfect match too, Dan. <laughs> if, if Debbie ever moves on, Ron, I'll give you a call. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Put a, put a pin in that. Get in line, Ron. Yeah, can you live with me in second? Whoa. Whoa. Put a pin. Put a pin. Get in line, Ron. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, so good to have Abby here. What Sorry? What did you say, Dan? I said it's so good to have Abby here. Yeah, I finally have arrived. Join the gang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joe, I've I've little doubt that your date will go wonderfully. And uh if the compatibility is there, well, jackpot. Either way it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean make when, a new friend. When Debbie and I 
Sorry, Joe, go on. I, I was going to say, just, just to make a new friend, you know. It's always right. nice to meet Sangha, you know. Hey, that's that's where me and Deb started. You know, we had that big common interest, and so it made sense to meet up. And so <laughs> there's an actual reason for getting together beyond carnal pleasures, <laughs> which is a great place to start. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think fr friendship is the key that I've learned in my life about relationships is just building friendship and yeah. trust and yeah, enjoying I being around. Agree. Yeah, I feel like a big problem is when people try to put labels on things. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes it ends up turning it into something that it's not. For example, is Ron my lady in waiting or my side bitch? <laughs> it just causes yeah. problems. You could say I'm just a friend. <laughs> just a friend. That's that's a nice diplomatic label, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who else has got something exciting to tell us? Oh, oh absolutely right, very, Rick. Yes. Very accurate. The minds are label makers, yeah. Uh, but not 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 of, not always those fun label machines that you can screw around with and nothing bad happens. <laughs> you kids, all the kids are using label makers these days. It's the, the <laughs> thing to do <laughs> with the red tape. <laughs> yeah. I think I think another thing that happens with relationships that's related to practice is when uh, we mistake. <laughs> Uh, our happiness as being dependent on another person or dependent on the relationship that we are in, or we blame our like anger or ill will on the significant other, which happens. And yeah, yeah. Well, relationships they are dependency. I mean, that's that's what they are. I mean, if you don't take happiness from a relationship, you would not go to a relationship in the first place. Oh, of course, but it's it's not about the dependency because the, yeah, the dependency a, implies an attachment to the other person. Like, you know, it, like the problem with that is a lot of people end up getting into relationships for the wrong reasons. You know, they try finding someone who will complete them, so to speak. When the truth is, if you don't feel complete on your own, I don't think you're in a position to be entering a relationship. If you're not well, if you're not complete on your own, if you are complete on your own, you would not go to a relationship in the first place. I mean, there's a need yeah, for because... happiness from someone else. I mean, you have to admit. Oh, of course. It. I mean, humans are social creatures. I don't but, deny that, but that's also where the the label making comes in, you know, and you're you're turning it into something it's not, you know, because this one person gives you happiness, people are able to become dependent on them like a drug. And that's when it's not healthy. The best way I've heard to think about it is uh, three relationship paradigms. This actually comes from a Mormon author that some of you might have heard of, a guy called Stephen Covey, who writes about three relationship paradigms, the codependent relationship, which we're all familiar with, the independent relationship, where each partner has their 
shit together and they kind of operate <coughs> pretty much by themselves and then they come together only for those things that they can't get for themselves for example sex but the best relationship paradigm is the interdependent relationship and so here we have a mormon using a very buddhist word the interdependent relationship is where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and the two partners realize that they are stronger together and this is why it's so great when sangha get together because then it's well heaven realm well said that you who typed that rick yeah yeah is that another way of speaking about what i just mm -hmm. that's just that's just cut right to it right dependence independence and interdependence yeah. right and um, so now i have a question okay go ahead do you think relationships are possible between people who like one is into the sangha and one isn't or would there be like an imbalance there of sorts i can speak to that right oh let's hear it because <laughs> that's certainly my situation right so i think it, it comes down to interference maybe like my wife and I don't interfere with each other's spiritual or religious practices. And in that way, then we're allowed to pursue our own directions. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're pulling away from each other. Um, right. And uh, again, there's always going to be this, um, like having to understand um, the communication styles and all kinds of things related to the personality and ego, regardless of which um, spiritual practice, if any, that the person follows. Um, and so I find that it's useful for me to put into practice all of these different things, um, regardless of which, uh, which school she follows, as long as she isn't forcing me to follow, to walk her path, and uh, there's been no issue with it at all, not at all. So yeah, right. so to me, it's it certainly is possible because again, you're just when you start clearing away the categories, you realize wow, these these types of um, understanding one another through you know through this um, interdependence is the same whether she's labeling herself as A or B. So yeah. Right. Girls like that so don't come around very often. What's that? I'm saying girls like that don't come around very often. I don't know, but you know, I got me one, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you've also had more time to look than me. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, to say that, Ron, you're still pretty young, and my experience is the younger you are, the more likely it is to still be in a kind of more or less fixed frame there no i i know exactly what you're saying because i am in in that exact state of mind that you're talking about right now 
but I've been working on it. Mm. And I don't know, from my from my previous experiences, in my generation, it's hard enough as is to, to find a girl who's, like, nice and understanding and compassionate. You know, you throw Sangha on top of that. Almost seems like I'm dreaming. Ha. But you're in the right position, which is you're very happy. Yeah. Outside and I have high standards as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, you don't I'm have, have to find down. someone who's compassionate and like good. You can you can be compassionate yourself. You can be like. Right, it's about these know, qualities. It's more about well, the qualities and the labels, yeah, anyway. That's really, just, really fundamental. Yeah. Yeah, I was just using those like specific qualities as an example, but like, like, yeah, I just have pretty high standards, and you know, I'm not gonna settle for a girl that doesn't meet them. Well, it's interesting, right? So, so that's I, what I, I mean. Think, like, I think I think that what we call high standards actually is more accurately just standards. I think we're kind of uh, raised into this idea that everyone ought to pair up. It's Still, just, a, it's just right? that I hold myself at a very high regard. And, you know, well, good. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pick a partner that I would hold at less high of a regard. Well, that's one way of saying it. What I was pointing to is I think it's, I don't think there's anything sinister <laughs> McDonald's Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you're just throwing shots No, no, it's not, it's not personal I'm just saying no, you know, I know, standards, I know. it doesn't mean high standards standards are standards Yeah, I'm just I'm just considering, you know, what Where's the middle? You know, if, if we're talking about having high standards for finding a partner, what's standards and then what's low standards? And I'm just thinking about the way that most folks tend to be engaged in serial monogamy. I think that actually what's typically the case is that the standards are low because people don't want to be alone. Yeah, and that really is true. What, what, where you're at, Ron, is where I would like to see more folks. Um, because intimacy is, in a sense, special. I can't think of a better word than that, um, even if only for the fact that there are risks involved. There's a risk of pregnancy. There's a risk of disease. So why wouldn't we be selective regarding who we're going to be intimate with? Well, see, that's actually the thing. If you look at it from a biological standpoint, technically only the women are supposed to be selective. You know, that's hmm. how it is in, in nature. The men have the approach method and right. the women have the filtering method. So, you know, that's why they say if a guy can sleep species. with a lot of girls. huh? Mm -hmm. Is that true for all species? I mean, you know, you don't see, like, all the birds and stuff doing, like, their dances. You see the certainly, peacocks. Certainly for the birds, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering about mammals, specifically. I mean, I, I would assume, you know, every time I watch Animal Planet, it's always the guy animals fighting for the dominance, and the big dog gets yeah. the first pick of the girls. 
Yeah. <laughs> <That's standards. laughs> yeah, you know, like we we've grown so like used to our modern day society that we sometimes forget how biologically hardwired our brains really are. Uh-huh. You know, at the end of the day, it's like it's just a matter of males are trying to find anything they can to sleep with. And the women are supposed to be filtering out the options to, you know, pass down the best genetics to the next generation. That sounds uh, certainly like it maps onto lots of animal species. I'm interested as to whether it's all. Um, and certainly all of that stuff is in play for us humans. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I can give I can give examples of as being a farmer because like there's certain animals that I've had like ducks, for instance, they they can only partner with like two to four females, uh, whereas like a, a sheep like a ram can have like 40 generally. Um, and then pigs, uh, I mean, they can do up to like nine chickens do like 25 for okay. one male uh but but ducks are the interesting one where it's like i mean if you have like really more than like three ducks per male they they just won't they just won't do it with the other ones huh. uh like that's just how it is you know they Bussy yeah fun. so it's it's interesting it's it's quite variable uh depending on the the animal um Mm. rabbits yeah they they actually are like rabbits and uh just do it all the time they're hilarious i had rabbits for a while they're hilarious animals to, yeah. to have they just have sex all day it's <laughs> like that's all they do wow lots of little buns then yeah and it's like we'd have little kids like visiting our farm and like they were just always wanting to see the rabbits and you're just like oh god like but they just stop for a second please <laughs> And then suddenly Farmer Joe's having to give the kids the birds and the bees talk. <laughs> <laughs> but this, oh, this biology is kind of interesting. And then you have weird things like spiders, right? Where you have the, the male spider sometimes that gets like killed by the female, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah, there's weird, there's weird stuff. But the cool thing about being a human is we can like have some control over this. And like you get to a point I would say, Ron, where that like physical, like thing that you're talking about, I don't know. I like that's kind of gone for for me. Like it just is like totally unappealing to sleep with a bunch of women, like on a on just a physical level. Also. Oh no, yeah, that's not what I'm just saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, look, like if a guy wants to sleep with a girl, he has to go out. He has to figure out how he's gonna basically convince her to sleep with him and you know he has to take her out to dinner do this and do that a girl can if a girl wants to sleep with a guy she she can just do it like, you know nine out of ten times girl can text a guy she'll be like hey come over and be like okay and that girl could send that same text to ten other guys and they'd all respond the same way well could i imagine for for some females or would many females do that? Well, is the next question in this in this age group, in like the the twenty to twenty fives, you would be surprised. 
Well, I'm not sure I would. <laughs> so maybe it's an age yeah, thing, right? Maybe it's an age thing. Yeah. Also, it depends on what, where you're at. Um, maybe, maybe there would be a, a certain amount of the population for whom that's true, but I would also say that when it really comes down to it, it would probably be less than you would at first expect. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I do live in Florida and pretty much almost everyone that I know is a college student. What are the standards there? <laughs> All I got to say is don't go to FSU. Because the standards are on the floor with all the cigarette butts. <laughs> so we, we talked a little bit about this sort of subject with Damarado uh, on Sunday's Sangha call, and he had an interesting thing that he's that he said, just one phrase, which is, uh, I like it, but I don't want it, mm. is a good thing to keep in mind, uh, just as a thing that instead of like trying to suppress but just to acknowledge that he gave a story of Ajahn Sumedho uh, and Ajahn Chah went to him when there were a bunch of women visiting the monastery and he was like, hey, what do you think about them? And uh, Ajahn Sumedho was like, I like it, but I don't want it. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just about like seeing the, the you know, at, like seeing into it truly, right? And uh, yeah, so. Very wise. Very wise. It relates to practice a lot. I think it's interesting being in a relationship because it brings up stuff a lot of times that on your own just don't come up. Yeah. That's one of the most interesting things for me about being in a relationship. And yeah. 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 <laughs> Fertile ground. Um, yeah. With the wanting comes the karma. Right? Yeah. Liking is karma free. Wanting is not. Yeah. The, after the wanting, soon comes the getting. Mm-hmm. And the one I think thing that's part of it, right, is that the process happens so fast, right? Yeah, the process the between restarts. wanting, liking, cl- uh, clinging happens so fast uh, if we're not aware of the process that it all feels blended into one, one um, mental action, right? One thing. Yeah, and that's that's the tricky part right there. Is can we slow it down to notice the different steps and stages and halt it before it becomes into the 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 karmic stuff? Yeah, what a great way of of halting is just enjoying the liking. So liking is enough. Getting a good buzz off the liking. I don't have to go grab it. I'll try to keep that in mind. <laughs> well, you're on hard mode. Yeah. That's you. Oh, oh, no, I don't go to FSU. That's, that's too much for me. <laughs> What's that? They, they, Florida State University. It's one of the state colleges here. Right. And basically, people just... They eat, sleep, and breathe to get <laughs> fucked up there. Like, it's it's insane. Like, don't get me wrong. It's definitely fun to go, like, visit. But I can't imagine, like, anyone who'd actually want to live there. 
Well, college, college campuses aren't for living on in any permanent sense, are they? It's <laughs> yeah. Get in, have your no, fun, and right. get out. <laughs> Yeah, no, I went there for the 4th of July. It was. In some ways, I, I think this is kind of like the, the carrot in the stick thing that Damaratos gives for us of like, so you become an adult, uh, apparently at age 18, and then you get to like have all this fun and you're like promised like, okay, now you're an adult and, and like life is going to just be fun. And then like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it, to me, I can, I can really see it as from the outside now of like, wow, it's really like, you know, kind of conditioning us in a certain way, like this whole system uh, of going to college there and everything that it does to, to people. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Social pressure is immense, right? Yeah, and it's considered like a prestigious school. So, you know, like parents want their kids going there and stuff. You know, they tell other parents about it and they're like, ooh. You know, like, it, it carries some significance to some people to be able to say that they go there. And, you know, they think that by participating in this lifestyle that they eventually get dragged into, that they're, like, being cool or something. Because I... Ron's cool sorry. for completely different reasons. Yeah, it's just, you know, what I've come to see is that, that for most people, it starts as a pastime simply because it's the only thing that you can do there and then it just kind of turns into a habit and an escape you know it's like what we were talking about earlier about pattern recognition mm. you know when you do something so much on a day-to-day -day basis it starts to feel weird when you don't do that thing right Right, hence you've got a wonderful practice running and you don't need all the cool points that come of coming to FSU. You don't get me wrong, I'll still go and visit. Sorry. Don't get me wrong, I'll still go and visit. Sorry, what? Go and visit? Yeah, every once in a while. Can't hurt. You go and visit? Yeah, every so once in a while. Not, do you not have to be on campus all that often? Uh, well, no. Uh, my friends all live off campus, and then uh, all like the bars and stuff are also off campus. Okay. So but campus is mainly right? just for, huh? It's a community, right? Yeah, the campus is mainly just for like the actual like classes, and the the freshmen live on the dorms sometimes, or most of the yeah, time. Yeah, they go to uni for classes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a struggle. I've forgotten what you're studying, Ron. Finance. Right, yeah, okay. A wise yeah. choice. If you're going to do the worldly thing, I mean, you might as well do it. Right? Yeah. We'll Head right into the fire. Me. Yeah. But I mean, fi finance can lead to a lot of different things. It's like, I mean, I was an economics major and uh, yeah, had like finance as a, as a minor. So like, you know, it's useful for almost any aspect of life that you're going to go into after exactly. this. You're, you're always going to have to do like accounting, you know, it's yeah, just a yeah. useful skill. 
Like, I don't even know necessarily how much I'm going to be using the degree, but I know it can't hurt to have. And my parents are also very strongly insisting that I get a formal education. So who am I to argue? Suck a nice billion out and then be a philanthropist. How about that? Sounds like a plan. And I'll make a huge donation to the Sangha UK in the process. There you go. <laughs> we'll all... Uh... We're going to finance a retreat where we all can attend. <laughs> yeah. I just need to copy Nancy Pelosi's trading plan for a few months, and then I got us. <laughs> Very wise. Very wise. I mean, if we're going to talk about it, it's actually pretty crazy. Like, so many Congress, like, men and politicians have outperformed the S&P 500 in the last year. Oh, really? And, yeah. And S&P was up 30% in 2021, I think, which is crazy. Yeah. And the politicians were up even more. Yeah, like, like I mean, there's some, there's some graphs that are, like, hilarious. Like, right before the COVID crash, that there's, like, a massive sell-off from the senators. It's, like, it's like a week before. And you're, like, yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> It's it's such insider trading. I mean, they yeah, it's it's you. totally right. crazy. So, Austin Scott, mm -hmm. uh, he's in Congress, and he probably he outperformed the S and P five hundred by about five times, maybe more. Wow. Yeah. But that can be a statistical anomaly. It's it's good to look at, like, I mean, a 10-year period is what you really need to look at. And over a 10-year period, they're also crushing the S&P 500. Um, but, yeah, yeah of course. it's... And the thing is, all their trades are public. Yeah. So just pick I mean, a horse, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a there's been a joke that they should make a mutual fund that just follows the Congress people's picks, and it really sh isn't like a joke. Like somebody should actually start that mutual fund where they I mean, just sure follow their their picks. Yeah, be done. <laughs> but it's but it also gets into like like the sort of like. Uh, harmlessness thing too because like i i used to invest in the stock market and actually i actually choose not to do it because uh it's it i just don't really uh yeah i just have sort of like moral objections to it personally uh because of the companies that you're having to invest in um and like what really? they're doing it's really hard to find people who run companies that are actually doing it uh yeah with with this sense of like non-ill will Towards, I don't know. Uh, I've others. just come to find. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say I've come to find that. That I guess the most difficult part about it is that if you start day trading, it's like crack. It's so addicting. Yeah. See, I always. Like, did it's long, like you just play a game on your phone. Mm. No, I got. Yeah, I, I, I started getting did. really into options, and I got into like day trades and swing trades, in the beginning. But now I want to start like. Uh, buying shares and leveraging calls out see that's i mean that's just gambling i mean then i mean i can teach you how to play poker too you know i mean it's the, it's the same yeah thing. no that's what no. i'm saying it's gambling <laughs> when you don't know what you're doing yeah well it's the same thing i mean i was a professional poker player for a long time and it's the same skill set you know uh of doing those things it's it's a psychology yeah. thing so you're not really investing in the companies at that point it's uh no it's you're not thing. you're just kind of piggybacking off of them to make yourself more money 
but it's but I still think it's it's good to look at like what it's doing to ourselves. Like uh, I just heard a talk from a monk who was talking about this in terms of the news, and he was like, "Go ahead and participate in politics, do whatever, but just have an awareness of like how is this affecting like my heart? You know, like when I read yeah. this news story, how does it feel for me? You know." Yeah, there's a term I recently learned that you guys probably already know called doom scrolling. Doom scrolling, <laughs> right? And I think that's that ties in with what you're saying. And I want to <clears throat> mention briefly what you were just mentioning about um, what it does as far as producing anxiety. I've got a lot of firsthand accounts of the of the Koreans that I speak with uh, on a nearly daily basis, and nearly all of them are involved in the stock market. Um, because of their the housing is so expensive, they they need a, they're desperate to find a way to supplement their income. And you know when we get into it and talk about how many times per hour that they check their phone and why, you know it's all about stocks. It's all about. Well, yeah, I'm telling you, so when you're day trading, I, it's like crack. Yeah, even if I had no moral or ethical objections to companies investing in companies, I still wouldn't be sure that I would be able to resist the urge to see how I was doing, how my portfolio was doing. So I just I just leave that alone personally. I just leave it all alone. Well, yeah. I mean, becoming a long-term <laughs> investor, it's a skill that you have to develop of just like, you know, you just don't look, you know. I mean, Yeah, but the thing is there's a difference don't, don't between there's a difference between investing and actively trading. That's the thing. You know, like investing it's not a form of income it's where you put the income that you've acquired but actively trading is within itself a source of income so if you're good at it that could replace say a nine-to-five job yeah but there, this is this sort of like holding the carrot out thing that we're talking about because like it sounds really good on paper but there's a really good saying about poker uh that relates here and poker's uh a, a really uh what, what is it it's uh, it's an easy way to make a hard living. Uh, <laughs> yeah, is, I mean, is what it is, you know, and that's and know, that's what it is wrong. because, like, I mean, the number of people that I know that are involved in trading that have problems with cocaine, uh, uh, like, don't maintain relationships very well, uh, have problems yeah. with greed. You know, I, I think it's this gets into like right livelihood, and like, it's uh-huh. it's important, I think, to choose something that like yeah has some sort of uh i I don't know just it's it's a hard balance too right because you need to make enough money uh to be able to you know support yourself but how much is enough and uh yeah Mm. can, can we do it wholesomely is it the case that perfect morality makes no profit that sounds a bit hard line, doesn't it? Or is it the case yeah. that we look at our surroundings and we say, well, this is where I kind of popped up and there's this requirement. I mean, I think, that. I think there's plenty, I think there's plenty of people that have examples of, of professions and working in areas. I mean, you, you're what you're doing. I mean, you're teaching people drums, you know, I mean, that's pretty wholesome, you it's know, wholesome. like, yeah. Yeah, it's very fulfilling. It is fulfilling. There's always the question of, you know, I set my own rates, though. Right? Yeah. And, and I just know, put I'm them up. for the fact that I might be a, a soulless uh, investor at heart. 
or not at heart, uh, at surface value, but fulfillment within itself is an illusion. And I guess that's, yeah. Well, <laughs> I can see a way in which day trading might turn out to be something. Well, I wouldn't necessarily be day trading, but it would be like shorter term. And I just think a, a big benefit of it is that it gives you freedom, essentially, if you're able to yeah, do but it this, in a profitable but this is, way. But this is what I'm talking about. This is the carrot that they're holding up for you. And as somebody who went down this path about your age, where I was making a ton of money uh, and was like thinking that it was so great and I, I would just make enough money and then I could be happy. Uh, you know, this is like the thing to remember is like, you know, how how much is enough? And is there a uh, is oh, there yeah, a different way to to do it? Because uh, is mean, there a different way to be satisfied now and realize that there's no amount of money that you can make that will like be like secure <laughs> and safe uh, for oh, all time? Not, but I still and, need to support myself. Yeah, but you don't need very much, to be honest. Like, yeah, as somebody who's right. lived at both something. extremes <laughs> yeah something. yeah but I, I just think that like it can be risky like going for a profession that's just like all money you know like that's that's it because it's not very fulfilling you know um in itself i i mean i don't know i still have friends that play poker and like they they justify it in their own ways and stuff, but but I would say it's similar to investing. And um, yeah, just at the end of the day, looking at like what we're doing on a daily basis is having some effect on ourselves uh, long term. But I don't know if anybody yeah, else's thoughts here. I'm just I'm actually curious as I'm listening to you speak. I wonder what amount of day trading over a long period one might have to do just to take care of the basics because well, see, the of thing course, is most sorry. folks who get into it are thinking i want to get that sweet million right well yeah you see the thing is that mentality is exactly why 90 percent of people who try fail because they're looking for the big bucks exactly they're trying to get rich quick now see right. i'm fully aware of the fact that you know if it was easy everyone would do it mm. So, you know, I'm researching as much as I can. I'm, you know, watching all the right YouTube videos. I'm buying these books. I literally bought a thousand page textbook on options trading. And I got another book on like psychology of investing, which is a super important thing. You know, I'm going to, uh -huh. I'm, I'm going to make sure that if I head into it, I head into it right. Yeah, I mean, and it's like day, it's interesting, but but just but just be aware of like the effect. I I don't know. I'm just saying this as somebody who's done this, you know. Like, just be aware yeah. of the effect that it has on you, because like, how much is it oh, enough? Like, uh, like I could like literally, I could play poker like two or three hours a week, and I would make a healthy living. And I, it, and Why I had such you? as such a because it has such a negative impact on me as a person. Uh, that 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 those two or three hours are not worth it, um, and that's just the reality of of it, you know. For that specific thing, it's a more extreme example of it because uh, yeah. it's because yeah, but but the emotions are still the same because like it's hard on your heart. Like the first time you lose a like really like a lot of money, uh, you're gonna yeah. like really struggle to sucks. sleep, you know. Uh, and yeah. when you 
win a lot of money. Uh, it has, and it's just, it creates an imbalance in your system, right? This, this highs and lows. Yeah. In the long run, your, your graph goes like this, the same with in investing, you know, and like, but in the short run, like what, what effect is it having on you? Like if your goal in life is to be a more caring, compassionate person, like, is this leading to those, to those goals? Is there some other thing that could lead to this same thing? What is it in me that's so scared of working something for less money for more hours? Like that, like, like why, like, what is this like unenjoyable thing? Can I find some like joy in that too? You know? Uh, well, yeah. You those know, are just like some I, ideas. No, I feel, but it's like I said, you know, it's, it's the utility that it offers me. You know, I get to work less and make more. You know, I have more time to myself. And honestly, I actually don't mind the, the action of it at all. Like, I think it's fun. Well, you know, the, home, like the, homeless guy in the, the homeless guy in the street also has a lot of time, you know? Like, he has a ton of time on his hands because he's, you know, especially in the United States when he just can go to a food bank and uh, he, he has a lot, of, a lot of time. So this argument about free time, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I kind of am always, like, a little bit, like, mm. Like I, I yeah, have a lot it's, of friends it's like, that it's have free a lot time of free on time. top of being a, a productive member of society. Like, Ooh, like, but that, but yeah, that's I don't know. But that's but that's very judgmental and like I mean, so you're you're clicking buttons on like you're physically clicking buttons on your computer and manipulating like finances and we all know like the effects that this have. I would argue that the homeless person has like probably a lesser like bad impact compared to a trader that is say investing in mcdonald's and oil companies and these sorts of things these sorts of huge multinational corporations you know that like personally i'd choose to be the homeless person but you know this is how i ended up becoming a farmer you know because that's, Ron, that's my question my for you is what would be your bottom line where because you talk about freedom with having a lot of money, how, how much money or how much requisites do you need to be free? And then past that, um, you, you don't need anything else. What is that for you? Okay, so look, my thing is, personally, for me, I don't really need much at all. You know, if I had a million, if I were given, like, let's say a million, five million dollars right now, I would literally do the exact same thing that I do every single day. The only difference is I would buy myself a nice car because I like cars. So, you know, I would literally just buy myself a nice car and then I would keep on living life exactly the same as I do. I wouldn't actually need to spend any money on anything unless I were to, you know, find a, a nice girl, maybe have some children. And, you know, that's way later on in life. I'd get a cat in the middle of the woods. So the, the bottom line then is a car and a nice uh, car. wife and children? I mean, wife and children later on, like way later on in life. For now, it's basically just a car, and that's it. And then all the rest, I would just invest, put it into long-term accounts, crypto. What is it about so, um, a car that drives you to it? I just like cars. I like driving stick. I think it's like it's a very interactive experience. Yeah, I like the adrenaline rush of driving fast, of course, but I think, you know, driving a manual car like that. <laughs>
to move to Europe, are all the cars are manual in Europe. <laughs> yeah, I know, and they have highways without speed limits. I was thinking. Yeah, Doc is there. The drivers in Germany are crazy. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Maybe I'll come visit you, Doug. I want a German car too, so it works out. What kind of? What? Which one? BMW. Hook him up. Hook him up. Yeah, yeah BMW. I'm a beamer boy. Yes, as a German, dogs handing out BMWs like cookies. <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> it's raining BMWs in Germany. Like two or three in the bags uh, with me, so I just can hand them out. Hey, Ron. I'll be there. I feel like yeah. I can somewhat relate to what you're going through right now with uh, wanting to do the day trading stuff because I had a, um, a health insurance. I was selling health insurance for a while. And in the beginning there, I was selling it to older people that didn't have a lot of money. And so they couldn't get the really great, big, awesome insurance plans that employers usually offer. So, you know, we kind of would call these people and offer them these bottom of the barrel insurance plans and convince them that they're better than like Blue Cross Blue Shield. And yeah, I got pretty good at it. I gotta lie, it was fun. Um, but and Dan probably remembers this, but I uh, I remember very, very, very just like it was just very clearly, like it was yesterday, feeling even though I was successful at this and getting this money it was like well wait a minute what am i really doing here and who is at the expense of my wish and, and you know the one conversation that really got me one time is i was talking with this guy and this this wife that they just got in a car accident like a couple weeks ago and he lost his job and everything and they need oh, wow has like heart failure and well the shitty thing about insurance is that they didn't really have any other way like there wasn't anything else they could really do other than you know maybe like apply for unemployment or something so at that rate at that point the only thing i could do was sell him this insurance plan the best thing for him to have one but it was not good at all and if he goes to a hospital again for his heart they're gonna probably have to apply for bankruptcy. And I like knew these things as I was selling these plans. And I remember Dan telling me once he's like, you know, it just depends on what your priorities are. You know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is the job that's available to you. You just got it. You're doing good. Uh, have you evaluated the amount of work it'll take to get another job? Do you wanna get another job? You know. Are you satisfied and comfortable with how it is right now? And then, you know, maybe when more options open up or the pandemic is over, you can take a look at what else you might want to do and um, take a break from that. But it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're helping yourself out to the degree that to the degree that is satisfying, that works for you. You know, you kind of got to like feel it out for yourself. But I would just I would just say, like, 
I think what Joe is trying to say to you is just know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, look, See what you're this doing? isn't something that I've been, like, and considering doing. Like, I've been doing this for a while already. And oh, okay. know, I've been learning, a, yeah, I've been learning a lot along the way. I personally enjoy it. And, you know, speaking of what you said, I'm actually about to start working a, a sales job again soon. And, you know, I kind of don't mind the fact that what I'm doing doesn't necessarily give me fulfillment because I feel like I'm learning to enjoy the present moment as it is so much more that even if I'm mindlessly doing work, even if it's not fulfilling to myself in any way, shape or form, I'm still able to enjoy what I'm experiencing. For sure. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't know if that was the main argument here, like do something that fulfills you or if it was actually know what your actions are and how they could how they could own personal oh, no, yeah. of, I, uh, I know. of like love and joy for yourself and for others because like I mean I quit the job long story short I eventually quit because I realized okay I, I started selling Medicare Advantage plans to like people who were over the age five and they were senile and most of them had no idea what was going on to some degree or another and my job was to basically manipulate the shit out of them to feel okay at ease enough to you know give me their audible signature over the phone so that i'd get yeah. my at the end of the week but um you know i just didn't want to do it anymore because i saw that it was somehow it was just getting away of me feeling Okay. And if and if we do find ourselves in that situation, we can still realize that like within that situation, like you were saying, you're like, well, it's a pandemic and this is like what I have to do for right now. How can I make the best of it? You know, and like, is there a way that I can that I can do this thing that maybe uh, is having this effect on me? and still be able to say interact with people in a way at work that is light and friendly and have freedom in that way um but yeah but then i mean there's some things that this like in specifically with when you ask the question why wouldn't i do that with poker because it's a completely individual pursuit and there is no way to make it light and have freedom and like it's it's just an ugly thing you know like that's that's just the actual reality of what of what you're doing at the end of the day you know um and i think i think maybe trading you know like if you worked say for a brokerage house or something like that you enjoyed being around your coworkers. say that you were helping somebody as an investment advisor uh, helping people with their retirements to save for something. These these are things that, that you can find a wholesome way to do it, I, th I think, you know. Um, well, I mean, I am getting a finance degree, so I might just end right. up doing something like that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that that can definitely, like, be something that is, is both rewarding and, like, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. It's always the mixed bag. Right. Although it sounds, Joe, like you might be making a case for poker being entirely bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was uh, I was involved in private investigation for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
I'm not I know, surprised. I, don't, I know I don't look really, um, <laughs> but um, that was definitely one of those. Uh, I'm going to call that a, a hurting job. I wasn't uh, feeling that I was contributing to the welfare of others, except for my boss's reputation and, and my, you know, bank account. And I could only, I could only withstand it for about a year and a half before. Um, before I, I pretty much uh, gave it up because I saw the reactions of the people usually, especially when it was a romantic situation, how they reacted to, you know, seeing these people that they put their trust in, but didn't completely believe, um, you know, in these, uh, you know, situations with, uh, with others. And uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely a heartbreaking situation. And so, uh, yeah, I ended up, um, and yeah, there were parts of it that were fun, exciting, and yeah, living in the moment, yada yada. But at the end, I was like, yeah, this is a this is a terrible for me personally use of my time, uh, and it's really not generating any kind of kindness um, at all. So I switched. Uh, I switched completely. Yeah. Sounds like you're a teacher now, right? Yep. What do you do, Parker? Um, I, uh, video edit. Ah! Parker just vibes. <laughs> and vibe. <laughs> vibe. I vibe edit. I vibe That's edit. That's what the Dama video are slick. Park is a professional. Yes. Uh, video editing and, um, uh, like social media management, uh, that sort of thing. Less um, like yeah, filmmaking, nice. professional video editing, but those skills have kind of been developed by proxy. Okay. Rick, what do you teach? Uh, primarily, I teach English to uh, folks, English language learners, adult English language learners. That's my. I've been doing this for over a decade, and uh, I've had the good fortune of, you know, making a making a pretty. I wouldn't say huge, but decent living at it. Um, and uh, it definitely, uh, you know, gives me a sense of meaning and purpose when I watch these students progress and get their economic, academic, or social goals based on, you know, the foundational skills that I'm able to impart to them as well. You know, and sometimes I even, you know, sneak a little dharma in there, tiny bit here <laughs> and there. I don't do it overtly at all, and I and I certainly don't make a big deal of it. But you know, mm. <laughs> it comes through, right? You, you part of part of the teaching thing is you you're you're teaching like you're the you're the channel through which this information is coming, so it's going to be um, you know uh, affected or or colored in that specific way. So it's uh, it's almost unavoidable, you know. You're unless you're robotically doing it, you know. Even teaching grammar can can you can put your own spin or flavor or preferences on it, you know, things like that. So yeah, it's it's unavoidable. Well, you smile. <laughs> and I got you know, and I've got my friend. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Lulu. Lulu. Oh, nice. <laughs> boring again. But this, I mean, this is a good skill to develop, I, I think, of like trying to slip the Dhamma into various life circumstances, you know, like, I think it's fun to yeah. like, to try yeah. my best to, 
in any circumstance I find myself in to be like, okay, how, where is this person at? How can I help them to ease their suffering? You know? Yeah. It's kind of, and I, I feel like there's kind always of the like a way to stick it in somewhere too. And yeah. like you're saying, Rick, it's not always intentional. Um, no. You're kind of doing it by example. Right. And that's, that's where that's the best the real teaching um, comes in. And then language is just to supplement. Nice. Oh. Absolutely. Because I tell them it's, uh, it's just the ladder to get them to what they want. The, the language is not the goal in itself. <laughs> it's just through what, you know, through what they're trying to reach. And, you know, and sometimes, honestly, a lot of these folks just need an impartial uh, third person to listen to what's going on because they can't confide in anyone else and then you end up being the one that they talk to about you know their pressures and anxieties etc and there's the opening right there mm -hmm. there's the opening right there mm -hmm. you know it's very it becomes very clear the types of the types of things that i can say at that point um, that that's designed to help them, not not change their attitudes or beliefs or anything, but to help. Yeah. It's it's like the default state is selfishness being closed off, and now that you're open, it just um, you would have to do something intentional to close off to not help the person. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, and that's not why I'm in that position anyway. So so yeah, there's lots of opportunities. Um, in these sort of like high traffic situations, especially when people, you know, you are helping them lower that effective filter that, that makes them resist once they're down, once that's down, it's amazing what kind of things spills out. Um, yeah. Damn, I've been sniping my shots. And with specifically with like language learning, I think that people like tend to beat themselves up a lot. I, I know that uh, I I do with learning uh, languages, and that uh, it can be an area where it's ripe for that. Uh, and and also, it, I mean, it can be if you're in a situation where you like have to learn it. Like for for me in France, like I I just I just get it all the time from people where they're like oh my god you've got to learn french and it's kind of like just like shoved on you you know and i'm sure the same happens for your english students if they have to learn it where they're like they're like told like your life is going to end if you don't learn this language you know and <laughs> well, like i have to like, constantly remind myself that i'm perfectly alive not being 100 percent fluent in french you know um, well for them a lot of it is about survival they're in this new like, the ones that come come to canada for example they're in this new culture etc right um and uh one of the things that they often feel nervous about is when they're speaking to a native speaker and the person isn't used to um their accent they're not prepared to hear that specific accent and they get this big reaction like what and immediately this the, the 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 person who is speaking starts to doubt what they said like, and all these words and i say and i tell my students i want you to repeat it again and pretend like they don't understand english because they're <laughs> not ready for your accent and then they say oh and then say it slowly repeat yourself and they'll hear it the second time but I said, you're not saying anything wrong. They're just not ready to hear an accent. And they go, oh, and suddenly that understanding comes on and they go, oh, so I'm not making any mistakes. Well, mate, you're making a few, but not enough to inhibit the meaning transfer. 
And they go, oh, okay. So it's little things like that that help them to, you know, keep that confidence up so they're willing That's to. Helpful. Yeah, yeah, I found it to be. Yeah, yeah, I've had really interesting interactions with people from other countries who have perhaps had an accent, and uh, I've found that these kinds of interactions they're fraught with um, anxiety a lot of the time. People don't want to ask twice. People certainly don't want to ask thrice. Where actually, with a little joy, it becomes this wonderful dance. Right, and you kind of like I can gi I give them permission. Like they need, it's almost like they need someone to give them permission, and I can do that. I'm like you yeah. have permission. I don't say that explicitly, but it's like you have permission to make mistakes. You have permission to ask two times or three times or whatever. You have permission. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, who the hell said it shouldn't be? It's so well, well, maybe from their previous like experiences, maybe their yeah, teachers and their countries yeah. have told them if you make mistakes, you should just stop, you should quit. So they, who says they tell themselves based on oh. like their own previous programming? You know, so I, I can say like having lived like having done this twice now because my second time learning a language in a country like. The, the problem that I see mainly what occurs is uh, our minds hold on to those like few negative interactions that we have. And so like, of course, there's going to be there's going to be like some assholes that you just meet, you know, and they're just going to like you have to develop a tough skin for this. Right. Uh, and one out of 100 people are just going to be like they're just going to be a jerk to you, you know, because you don't speak their language. And somehow those interactions like stick in our minds, like glue, you know, and the other 99 interactions, or especially like, I, like I had an awesome interaction today with somebody who was talking really, really slowly for me and was like super nice, making sure I understood switch to English when I needed to. And like, it's a, it's a constant, like uh, needing to re like remember those interactions because it is really painful, uh, the other ones, when it's just, it just goes awful and the person just treats you like crap, you know. Um, yeah, but so I think it goes further back, though. I think we're looking at childhood again, when we all learned our first language. And it wasn't good enough for the parents sometimes. Or it wasn't good enough for the teachers sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's why those few harsh interactions we have learning a second or third language hurt so much. They're poking on an old wound. Yeah, I constantly, not constantly, but I, I periodically tell my students how proud I am of them for trying this, right? For yeah. going to yeah. a new country, to being brave enough to do this for yeah. whatever reason. Uh, and Because no one really pats them on the back like that. No one recognizes how hard that is, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, very often, I guess, but I yeah. try and try and bring it up so they, they realize, that, and then they can remember it in themselves, too. I think, oh, yeah. yeah, you know what, I'm, that's, that's pretty amazing of me to have done this, done all of this, and to keep going, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I learned over the course of teaching, I'm probably giving thousands of percent more praise now than I did when I started <laughs> teaching. 
It's so necessary. <laughs> right. And I found actually there was a, a strong correlation with the degree to which I was willing to give praise to myself. Mm-hmm. As I learned to give more praise to myself, I was more able to give praise to my students. And then there was a correlation with how well they got at the drums. What you just said, Rick, uh, the, uh, what you told us the whole conversation reminded me of something that has happened to me, which to this day is in a way still funny, but also kind of tragic. Uh, when I lived in Finland, there was another uh, volunteer there from France and he, his English wasn't that good and he had, had a heavy accent and it got better over time. We didn't see each other that many times, but like one of the first times we talked to each other, he, he's, he, we spoke in English and um, the first time he said something to me, I had no idea what he was saying. The second time I, I asked, I kindly asked him to repeat it. I, I didn't have a clue the second time or the third time. And it, it happened, it happened uh, over the course of a conversation, it happened a few times. And at some point I just had to be like, yeah, okay, man. And I, I was kind of, I was kind of uh, laughing with one eye and a bit, uh, also a bit sad because I, I honestly, I did my best to try to understand it, but I had no idea what the fuck he was talking. About. Yeah, and it can it can turn into laughs in the moment. Exactly. Right, but I think as long as we're feeling like, oh, I mustn't upset this person, I mustn't ask more than once, I mustn't, you know, we can we can crack some joke about uh, our own language skills or. There tends to be a way, you know, as long as we're as long as we're feeling okay within ourselves, I found there tends to be a way to break that ice. Yeah, I was pretty uncomfortable in that situation as well, because mm. I could see that he was really trying and struggling, and I still had no clue what he was saying. <laughs> yeah. And that it, happens to me once every three classes, once every three days, Dad, don't feel bad. Like, <laughs> I'm a teacher. <laughs> Okay, you're gonna to have to say it. Try another way. Try and rearrange the words. Find another way to tell me. <laughs> yeah. And the other students are like, can we speak their maybe their their native language? Oh, can't she just say it to me in the native and I'll get no, no, no. This is not about that. I need her to push through this barrier with me and to do it. I know it takes time, but this is what all of you have to be patient about. And then, and it's, sometimes it is very funny, but it's it's uh, lighthearted, not uh, mocking. So yeah, it happens. Yeah. And that's the skillful thing to do, Rick, is to hold the class in that way, such that a someone is comfortable to approach that barrier, maybe even push through it, but for it to be a light-hearted thing. That's huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this can be a lot like Dhamma practice in that like when we, uh, like when, when I'm first learning a language, it, it literally feels totally impossible, right? And like, you just have to kind of like laugh the whole time because you're like, holy, sh-. like your mind, the, the negative critic is like, holy shit, I'm never going to be able to do this. Even though like, you obviously are going to be able to do this at some point, but like, 
there's something within us that is like, this is totally impossible. And the same thing that happens with Dhamma practice. And like, if you just keep doing it and you just keep like following the steps, you know, like if you have Rick as your teacher and you're like, hey, just keep, just keep doing this. This is what you got to do. Then one day you're like, holy crap, I'm talking the language, you know? And like the, <laughs> the same thing I've I found with Dhamma practice, right? Where it's like, well, I'm not just like baiting, banging my head against the wall about this sati anymore. Like it's just, it's just there, you know, it just does it on its own. It's amazing, you know? Yeah, it's amazing to think like when, when you first encounter a language that you don't know anything about, you just, you recognize it by certain sounds. You go, oh, that sounds like Chinese, but you don't know any of the words, so it has a specific sound. Or, oh, that sounds like probably Portuguese, but you don't, you know, it's really interesting that moment of you can recognize the language, you know what it is, but you have no idea what the words are. But then later, as you start to study it, the sounds then become words, which then become meaning. And that's really a fascinating process. And I, I often wonder, for someone whose English is not their first language, what sounds do they hear when they first hear English? Mm. Like how, like what repeated noises <laughs> do they associate with English? Because by the time I can ask them that question, it's too late. They already understand the words. Right. What, I had you know, friends when uh -huh. I was a child. I was really, hi, by the way. Hi, um, Hello. Hello. <laughs> So uh, as a child, I obviously didn't understand uh, French at all. And I was really good at faking it. So people who also didn't understand French would think I was speaking French <laughs> because I was imitating the sounds. Yes, which right. Now I actually, I, I had French in school. So um, I can't, I know enough to not be able to do that anymore. Although exactly. I also can't speak French fluently because my Spanish kind of ruined my French. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> just and now I like always like my my picture for that is or my image is that like the the Roman languages are like in a, in the same street. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I in the same part of the forest. Yeah. Uh. So and and my my Spanish pad on the French like vocabulary and stuff. Um, and a little bit on the English, like coming from Latin, all the origins that, that are Latin origins. But um, so now always when I try to speak French, just Spanish comes out. Or when I'm in Italy, right. for example, and I hear Italian, I just speak Spanish. So <laughs> it activates because Spanish is now the most, the, like the most dominant one where I'm like fluent in. So like when, whenever I go into that street, like the uh, Roman languages, I just speak Spanish. But I wanted to add something um, to what Dan said before, because like with the praise, um, I think we like completely underestimate in like the various, at least in the education system in Germany, um, how powerful praise is like, we this the system is built on um like finding mistakes and and what's the opposite of praise criticism criticism, criticism. yeah it's, it's like yeah. it's always about what's not good enough yet and it's hardly uh, ever like focused on what is already there like the resources and and what is already working like intuitively right um and i have a piano teacher i like 
started piano very late, like just a few years ago. Um, and like just, I, I don't know, like very recently for real, like um, with a little more discipline. And I found my like the perfect teacher for me because he is like, he's praising so much. Yeah. Every, any other teacher who would not do this and who would criticize more, obviously he also said like criticize me, but it doesn't feel like criticism. Mm. Like, it's constructive, it's, it's constructive. More on what is already uh, working like that. I don't know, the hand is like, amazing and like he's he's doing like a little overdoing it so i i laugh because like obviously i'm not a genius like <laughs> piano um but but he does it in such a loving way and i i kind of get what he means and, and then he actually says like things he he sees that are right and so that encourages me because mm -hmm. i have like little trauma with music so um i i had this mindset that i that I am absolutely not musically inclined. So if there would have been too much criticism, this this little flame that it, there, it was like very fragile at the beginning. So it would have been just like uh, crushed, out. Yeah. Uh, destroyed. Uh, and now it's like, it's a, a beautiful fire. And, and yes. every yes. time, uh, actually like, Often I come to piano lesson and I'm like really not in a good mood because I don't know, Wednesday seems to be the drama day. <clears throat> but every time after the lesson, I'm in such a better mood because he has such a great energy and like piano and like that he really encouraged me and is so proud of me. That's also like, like I'm very confused sometimes, but he's like, he seems to have so much fun teaching me yeah so he sounds like a great teacher and i see this all the time that students tend to judge themselves by the best musician they've ever heard yeah oh yeah. yes <laughs> a good teacher will judge you by you yeah how it's you were in the last good, lesson right? like if it's a good teacher yeah. sorry what was that if it's a good teacher if it's a good teacher unfortunately <laughs> a lot <laughs> do it differently but yeah yeah, a, a bad teacher is grumpy that they don't have a, a student who's at a higher level of accomplishment. Well, the problem is for that teacher is <laughs> until they're teaching Chick Corea, they're, they're never going to be satisfied and Chick's now dead. So uh, <laughs> I sometimes will ask my students in the beginning, if it's like a class full, I say, what are your expectations of your teacher? or of teachers <laughs> to get a general sense of that, you know? And it's interesting to hear you know, some of their, some of their responses. Say, okay, these are, these are your, your expectations. And then of course, there's a big laugh. I'm like, okay, well, I've checked all those boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might, I might play with that one, Rick. That sounds very interesting. Because mm -hmm. mm. really, we're not talking about you know, I mean, back to standards again, right? I mean, they're pretty moderate, what we're talking about here, um, what the kind of expectations are. So anyway. Thank you for sharing, Nora. It was delightful to hear about yes. you as a teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was actually today. So I'm still right. <laughs> the energy. Yeah. And I had like, I really had not a good start into the day. So it was actually like really uh, great. 
I, I, I didn't want to go, but I, w I, was, I knew I would feel good afterwards. <laughs> well, you've got a good excuse to go next week because you can tell your teacher that uh, you shared about your lessons yeah. with two teacher friends of yours, and they both said he sounds like a great teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good I actually also thought, like, I wanted to add to Rick, um, I taught German uh, to foreign students. Um, and I, like some part of it, parts of it, I really love, but in the end, like I, I quit because I couldn't stand like for a system, I couldn't stand behind or get behind because it was so rigid. We were actually just prepping them for exams and I, yeah. I didn't feel that at all. And it made me like, it made me really sick um, doing that because, and actually like, in the last lesson, I just did it my way. I uh, did kind of a more like an intercultural music project today. And that was the best lesson. Everybody loved it. But it's, of course, not prepping them for this, these exams. Yeah. I, okay, I'm just doing the intercultural music project in, uh, without this. I spend time in the, I, I teach drums in two secondary schools, so I go in as what in English is called a peripatetic teacher, a traveling teacher. Uh -huh. So I don't go into the class. I go into one of the small practice rooms and I do what I do in my studio. I see students one-to-one. -one. Nice. But all too often as I'm walking past the music classroom, there's fireworks. Kids not doing what the teacher wants them to do and the teacher being frustrated because it's probably not what the teacher would be doing given the choice, but there they are disciplining the kids because they have to do this stuff because it's what's on the exam paper. Meanwhile, <laughs> they could just be having a conversation about music. Yeah, or just make music, like play music together, play like music, jam. Listening jam to music, right? All those kids have got a favorite YouTube music video that they would love to share with the class, yeah. but nope. That doesn't count as education. That's so sad. Like, I mean, educate everything. Like, edu like, the most frustrating thing about education, I find, especially our educational systems, mm. or at least ours, if you just speak for the one like, I know, um, is this that we actually have brains who love to learn. Like, we have these. Uh, I think that's kind of the learning machine. It's like yeah, sophisticated other animals that our brains kind of stay like childlike, so they can like uh, grow and learn all life. Unless stamped out of us. That's yeah. right. I'll, I'll teach you to hate learning. I'll teach you to hate learning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but how can you like develop a, a, an educational system um, that crushes this? like intrinsic urge to learn. Like our brains are, tr are made for learning. Like this is what they want to do. Children are so curious. And oh, it took centuries to do that. It took centuries to accomplish oh, that level of crushing. It still only has varying degrees of success. <clears throat> Some kids will survive the process. Yeah, we'll survive. <laughs> right, and we'll continue to learn on their own agenda to some degree. I mean, if we really 
if if we really broaden our definition of what learning is, you can't actually stop it happening. But it does. The my my favourite uh, analogy for what schooling does is is that in walks a beautiful, bright, colourful caterpillar, and out walks a man in a grey flannel suit. Ouch! Mm. That's how it's designed. Totally. And yet, there are still butterflies. People do make it through, and maybe there's a process of um, cocooning again, mm. and some folks will become that butterfly a little later on in life. Um, school certainly isn't interested in butterflies. No. No, no, and this is this whole like end of grade assessments is a huge money making scheme. Like, and this sounds very conspiratorial, and I don't really like to go in this direction often, but being in the system for a while myself, teaching in public school, I saw the whole sort of thing laid out and how, yeah. how um, you know, these, uh, these uh, you know, I remember in, in uh, my Master's of Education program, our, st our statistics, uh, like our assessment teacher said, if you guys really want to make some money, become a psychometrician. A psychometrician is, is uh, a test a test creator they make test questions and so you could be making 80 grand a year starting salary compared to a pathetic 25 or 30 salary you say wow so you mean the ones imparting the information make like three times or like one third of the amount of these uh, test makers these psychometricians absolutely absolutely and it's like if that's what we value as a society if people are paid what the society values it's a really eye-opening shot was a shocker to me i don't think anyone else in class even batted an eye but i was like my mouth probably dropped open I'm like, yeah not because i was suddenly hungry for that but i thought wow that really does put into perspective priorities like yep. social priorities you know and, yeah we prioritize measurement because of fear Tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm doing good enough. Tell me I'm going to be all right when I go out into the big wide world. You're going to be all right, Dan. You're going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although what's really interesting about it, right, is that actually the kids are too young to even ask that question. So it's actually the parents who are saying, Tell me my kid's going to be all right. Tell me my kid's not broken. Tell me my kid's not a fucking idiot. <laughs> and destroy well, them in the process. Well, you know, we see that the more competitive a society, the, the, uh, the earlier and earlier a parent starts this formal education process. Again, I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but in Korea, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting, they're jockeying for a position to get into, like, the number one kindergarten, the number one rated kindergarten. Why? Because it helps them track right on up into the university and right on into the, you know, Samsung or LG or the top performing companies. And because, uh, I mean, soon they won't have this problem because they're really not, they're really not, they're having such a low birth rate relative to the cost of living. You know, it's like an economic child, like minus one child policy there. Uh, 
but it's it's really um, and it's sad to see the parents reflect on it too. They're like, I would love for my child to have a childhood, but how are they going to compete otherwise yep. if I don't enroll them in this today? Which means don't they, fight. they yeah. start work at five years old. Exactly, exactly. And they their their entire young lives are spent for this the huge entrance exam that determines everything else as far as the society is concerned we know it doesn't determine everything else but as far as the society goes it does and they believe they, that's what it is so it's so horrifying there's no alternative right i mean i don't know it i, I guess korean is a buddhist country right can they go to the monastery if they want uh, yeah, there's always there's always an alternative. Like no matter what, there there even if it doesn't seem like there's an alternative, there there is. I mean, I I dropped out of high school. I I just I gave up on it because, yeah, yeah. And I and I was supposed to be a failure because I dropped out of high school and I graduated from college by the time I was like 19. So oh, so you failed at being a failure. Oh, I see. How <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to be a failure, but I failed at that. <laughs> <laughs> but did you fail then? <laughs> so negative times a negative. <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. Hey guys, um, I just was wondering if uh, any of you had some input, um, but. What I've noticed has come up for me lately is like this kind of just general disinterest in everything <laughs> practice. And um, well, so I haven't really been practicing. I haven't really been smiling and breathing and, and enjoying my breaths. I've just been swimming in Duca land. Are you interested in disinterest? Interested in disinterest. Maybe. I don't know. You kind of like kind of stopped me in my tracks there. I'm not really sure. Hmm. Interesting enough to talk about, right? Yeah. I mean, up to a few hours ago, I was calling it depressed. But I don't know if it's actually depressed as much as it is more just a general disinterest or... Uh, lack of enthusiasm mm -hmm. for anything. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when things aren't going well practice wise i would want to like kind of you know, nip that in the bud and reach out and be like, okay well how, how can i practice better what can i do now but i feel like there's not really anything anyone's gonna tell me that's different at this point well good we went through it all so thoroughly in our last call didn't we yeah, we did. Perhaps I think perhaps you've finally reached the point where you see that 
There's nothing more to say. It's practice or don't <laughs> practice. Yeah, and it's like... I don't know. Feels like a shitty ending. Enlightenment is the ego's ultimate disappointment. <laughs> said Chosen Trumper. I put that too. Yeah, but it's not, truth, it's not it's not ending and now that you like free, but it'll piss you off first. <laughs> that one too. What was that? Thou shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that one a lot too. <laughs> We've been getting some smiles out of you tonight, Alex. I've seen you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, just I know this sounds really simplistic, and you probably heard this a bunch, but yeah, I just I just do it unmotivated. I do it anyway. Sometimes I'm not motivated to brush my teeth, but I do it anyway. I'm sometimes not motivated to take a shower, but I just do it anyway. I just sit and I'm 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 unmotivated, and when I when I'm done, I'm unmotivated. But I do it. For me, it's just a matter of that's part of part of living now. At this point, the practice, that practice is so, I don't know, kind of ingrained that I, I don't ever consider even unmotivated, just like, oh, I'm not going to do it today. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know how else to say, but I'm, I just do it unmotivated some days and some days I'm motivated. Some days you can't keep me like, I want to do it three times, but at very least I do it once because it's just like, it's like maintenance for me. It's just like, I would never consider not you know, doing certain cleanliness activities. I would never consider, you know, not eating for the day. I would never even, it doesn't even cross my mind anymore to not, to not sit, you know? So, I, I mean, I don't know how awful that is, but I just do it unmotivated. And no, the unmotivation feeling just passes. It just passes and it'll come back and it'll pass again on and on and on and on, you know, just like plaque. It's like plaque on your teeth. That stuff just keeps coming back, man. You want to brush it, it keeps coming back. That makes sense. Some sense of the word that like, motivation is dukkha in the sense. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of generally unmotivated. But the thing is, it's like before I started this practice at all, um, I didn't even really think about motivation. I didn't even it like motivation never occurred to me at all. Actually, I was just intrinsic, like intrinsically motivated, I guess, to allow doing, things. To you were doing a less deliberate practice, a less deliberate practice. Yeah. And I mean, even when it came to like work and stuff like that, you know, I didn't need to motivate myself to where I just worked because obviously like I, I want to make money, like so I'm going to work. But it has become it, this practice, this deliberate practice has kind of become like that, become kind of like a burden, to be honest with you. If it's a burden, it's not practice. <laughs> well, all right. Was that laugh, that smile just a minute ago, was that a burden? Is <laughs> that smile right now a burden? Um, no. Also, I, I just wanted to say that, like, it's kind of like you've opened the bottle on the genie and you can't really put it back down now. 
Um, and like, sometimes like I point to my practice, I've been like, had this thought like, shit, I wish I wouldn't have like run into Buddhism because this, like this thought has occurred before, you know, but it's kind of a silly, it's kind of a silly thought, you know? Um, and, and it's, and it's, it's working on its own, like within your consciousness, like out of your control. And so what you're getting at before where you're like, I mean, things were just happening. I was just motivated. I just was. Well, I mean, because you were like living like most people do, which is like just in ignorance of like what's actually going on. So you've gotten a taste of it now and you're, it's going to just keep going on its own. And one day you're going to just like, but not when, I mean, whenever, whenever you get it again, it'll just like when the conditions arise and you remember it'll come back because that's just how it works, you know? I, and I just say this as a person who, like, I tried to shove the genie down the bottle again for, like, three years, you know, where <laughs> I was like, fuck this, I'm not going to think about practice at all for, like, three years. And then, like, I sat again after a break of three years of literally never sitting, and I was like, oh, my God, I still remember how to do this. Wow, this is actually kind of pleasant. Like, wh why wasn't I doing this before, you know? And, uh yeah. So that's just my experience that I can share a little bit. And that, that's, that's a really powerful compass that you've reminded us all of, Joe, which is that if it's a burden, that's, that's not the practice. If what you're mm -hmm. doing is experienced as a burden, then what you've got there is, is evidence that whatever you're doing right now is in the wrong direction. That's dukkha. So good news. You just learned something. <laughs> now you're practicing. Yeah. Yes, so this practice is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. So if it's not good, it's not anywhere. Um, you're not practicing. And oftentimes that's a concept of something that, you know, you should be doing. I should be practicing. Oh, I don't want to practice. So practice isn't working. Um, if we're creating concepts like that, um, we're not actually dealing with the reality of right now. That's really frustrating because uh, I've been, I feel like at least I've been doing everything Amarado and Dan and you guys have been saying is like correct practice. But if it's, if it's feeling hard then uh there's something missing you know or something extra yeah and it's like if you're feeling set it's the same thing if you're feeling sadness I, I was meditating with a friend for a while and like we had a daily practice together and they were crying like almost every sit and like eventually like i had to sit down and be like hey like there must be like something really wrong going on here because like you know, and it turned out that there was just something that like just wasn't clicking correctly there because it shouldn't feel like that. It should be it should be something fun and light, you know, like, you don't we've got enough burdens in life. We don't need to create like a new one for ourselves. Right. Like if it's not fun, like then don't do it. You know, like if it's not enjoyable, don't do it. Um, I like Try smiling, just like smile all the time, and then it, the smiling will like make pleasant sensations in your face, and you can sort of use that <laughs> to like jumpstart the the um the Pitisuka. 
that's like like when I'm in the call, sometimes I'll just like smile and sort of like has it makes like a feedback loop where I become happier because I'm smiling, and then I smile more because I'm happier. And I like smile a lot, and that can help me jumpstart it. First, the same way with laughter. The beginning is very very silly, but then you laugh because it's so silly. <laughs> And then it becomes real love. What is? You see, brother, this smile right now. I think you perhaps wouldn't count. You feel like you have to do something to earn a smile. Am I correct? Does that sound accurate? Yes, you smiled when Rick brought his green thing up, but that doesn't count. Lulu. Lulu. Sorry, yeah, Lulu. I guess um, it, it counts. It's just that, like, it's just that it's going to, it goes into that same uh, general disinterest or disenthusiasm upset. But, that, but that's, that's something else. Until you make it. <laughs> the, the, what comes next is something else. So there's a smile, can you just enjoy that smile? Can you acknowledge that as a success? You brought yourself here to hunger because you know it's what's best for you, even though you say you're disinterested. That's true, you did dial in, you did accept the call, that's good. That's a good so point. Yeah. You know, you know that the Dhamma is what's best for you even though there's these sensations of disinterest, still you put yourself here. Because you know that this is where the solution is to be found. <laughs> and so you, 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 but, but I haven't got the solution. But you do, the solution is to be here and smile. And forget that thought that comes next, which is, oh, but I only smiled nine times. I need permission, permission to smile first. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you can just go ahead. Well, yeah, and I find that there's there's a lot of resistance to acknowledging anything as a success still. And it's we like... deep on that the other night, didn't we? And we feels found resolution. Fake. Yeah. We found, we, we found resolution to that. We went right to the bottom of that rabbit hole. Yeah, I think you said, I think it was something to do with that. Uh, there's like two Alexes. You could argue there's two Alexes. The one that is arguing that the success is really uh, like suffering. And then there's the other one that's arguing that that's acknowledged. That. You were breaking right. up a little bit. You, you were saying that there's two Alexes. One wants one secretly wants to suffer and and that in suffering like that alex gets to win that he's succeeding but then there's the other alex that genuinely wants to acknowledge his successes and win that way but that alex is being overshadowed by the we were talking about how yeah, we were talking about how there is a certain kind of payoff to Dukkha. There's a payoff to all of our behaviors, otherwise we wouldn't do them. 
there's delusion in our ideas about those payoffs. And this is all we're back in social conditioning again. And so we can have the experience that we're at odds with ourselves. Which is why you find yourself in the ditch. And yet also wanting to be out of the ditch. And it is just always going to come down to. <laughs> I, th I think what everybody's trying to point point out too is like, it doesn't have to be so serious, right? Like, like just because you're an adult, it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be like this hardcore, like studying thing, you know, like at the bottom of it, it's all really hilarious. You know, like all of our experience that we're involved in is extremely hilarious and us interacting together. And like, it, it's just, it's almost like you're, you, it feels like we're going to get to the point where we've told you so many times the same thing in like different ways that you're <laughs> at one point going to be like, oh my God, this is so funny because none of it helps at all like this is all so hilarious like you know because yeah there, there is no other way to say it really besides like the millions of ways that everybody's tried to explain it yeah i'm you know? thinking of the zen guys again right beating themselves over the head with the koan until they just throw their hands in the air to say well it's all fucked <laughs> what a joke I like your question in the beginning, like, are you interested in disinterest? Mm -hmm. Are you attached to your disinterest? Why are you attached to disinterest, being disinterested? <laughs> oh, I have to be disinterested. Why do you have to be disinterested? <laughs> because if we, if we can get interested in disinterest, well, now we're interested again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it pops you out. Yeah. I also wanted to point out uh, Alex, if what you're saying is true, um, that that it's an actual like general disinterest. Where, where if what you're saying, what you said in the beginning, like disinterested in everything. If that's true, then it doesn't matter what you do. So why not practice if it's all the same? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if everything's equal, might as well. Might as well. <laughs> Literally doesn't matter. Well, welcome to the restaurant of Samsara. Today we're serving dukkha. Which kind of dukkha do you want to have today? <laughs> Could I have dukkha with a side of dukkha? Extra dukkha. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the disinterest you were talking about, I think in the text chat, um, you might have said TV and other things that people can get disinterested are cars or whatever material things. <laughs> that's worth congratulating yourself that you're finally disinterested in those things. That's that's wisdom that um, there's a lot of marketing. There's a lot of trying to sell that these things are worth being interested in. And when you can see through that to know that it's really not worth being interested in, um, that's a very big step. No, that's true. And I getting a little... Uh, I I saw through that a year and a half ago. Uh, I, I did though. through it again. Keep seeing yeah, through it. 
And, and I mean, every, I think everybody has at some point, but at the same time, like there's there, we're still there's a little bit of attachment, right? Like for me, I, I know that there are times where like I wish that I could have total like disinterest in certain things, right? Because you're you're just seeing that this is like an unhealthy uh, attachment there. So it's like like. I mean, we, like, we know that you've seen that. Everybody's seen that. I mean, a, a five-year-old has seen, like, like this at some point, right? Like, it's a natural thing to see that, like, oh, money does not equal happiness. Like, ev- everybody's seen that, right? Well, I mean, I think what I'm seeing now is, like, I'm – what I, I think – I even had to put the words with why – because this stuff is coming up, right? Like, so it's it's just as valid as what you guys are saying. Like, right. it's just as valid – like, smiling and practicing and noticing this isn't a burden and it doesn't have to be hard work is just as valid as seeing my discontent with everything right now and i think what it's pointing to for me is i don't want to i don't want to keep doing some stupid practice just so that there's this alex that can feel okay and feel good it's just like it's just annoying like i just don't I, I'm disinterested in the the Alex itself. Like the, the car that has been being sold on those banners on the highways, that's that's the Alex in my mind. Like I'm I, and the thing, I don't I don't want to go anywhere near that anymore. I don't right? I don't care. <laughs> and the thing is I think like almost everybody in this chat has probably been at a similar point before. I can think of a point where I was at like almost exactly saying your exact words and so when you're hearing advice from other people it's like it's not that you are like individual or unique or something like that right and you can see that yourself because you're like wait a minute like this alex that i'm making up right now like you know it's 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 not it's not you're not the only person that's having this happen to right uh that i'm sure that there are other people in the chat that have had this happen and they're just not in that state right now, but they're giving you tips for what to do, being like, hey, I know this roadmap. I've been there before. You should try this, you know? And so it's like, but it's just a map. It's like, try it. You got to try it for yourself. You know, if you don't think it's fun, then just don't do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You don't have to do this, brother. Maybe you feel like you do. Maybe you feel that you have to practice maybe that's what's making it feel so heavy yeah but it's like (laughs) try try some different practice i mean there's like a million buddhist teachers out there right i know it's like heresy to like look outside but like try something different you know like i recommended the same earlier today because sometimes it it moves us along you know and we can sit and talk about the merit of various practices till we're blue in the face what matters is what works right i have to like try try some like tibetan like open to everything for a little while or go stare at the water for a while like do open sky sky yeah tumo there you go yeah (laughs) i think the problem is that i um i think the problem is that what I want to have happen, I can't, I'm not like, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not, a, I'm not advanced enough as a practitioner for it to happen. To be completely detached 
from an Alex that feels this way and wants this and like to be completely detached from that. Right. Which I think is what enlightenment is. I was talking with Dan the other day and I, I was saying how like what I would if I, if there were two choices I could have the Alex that is there, you know, wondering about whether or not he's being criticized and is making all these evaluations and analyses about that or the guy that's just there and that person is just saying whatever this person is just saying whatever and there's no self to be concerned about a self being seen as some other kind of self or this self or that self it's just all what's happening and there's no problem there's nothing going on there's no concerns and high standard but you're con- but you're conceptual you're conceptualizing what it's like instead of just trying for yourself right it's like you're coming up with an idea of what you think it would be like based on other people's descriptions but i want to hear your description of what it's like because it's within your power and i don't think that's actually i don't think that's actually based on other people's descriptions i think that's something that i've actually experienced i just uh it's been it's just it's just been an experience it has and if we've had an experience like that it can be seductive i think we spoke about this didn't we how you seem to have started to create dukkha around the practice itself Mm -hmm. i think the phrase came up damned if you do and damned if you don't and so the appropriate thing to do is to drop everything that's exactly what uh, I was sure. going to say this, that I also have this, I, I really feel you on this one because I also have this mechanism that kind of jumps on everything. Like I find things that do me well, like, like that, that are healthy for me, that are originally f- fun and light and beautiful. But then I, I say like, I ritualize them and say, okay, I do <laughs> yoga every day. I meditate every day. I, and when I don't, then it's bad or or I have to do it now. And then it's now this perp, like I have this expectation of myself. It's not a good day if you haven't done this and this and this and this. And it's like it, it adds up. It's not um, and it's not light anymore. It's not fun anymore. It's like mm-hmm. it's just a burden. It's like I'm just creating dukkha around these in themselves beautiful activities. And yep. so I also can't enjoy them anymore. And then they are also not um healthy anymore because they yeah. are attached to this very unhealthy um, attitude yeah so i also then have to drop everything for a while to find like what's hmm. and also not the same rituals work in every phase so like sometimes i just feel like okay this is not right now i i need to figure out now what what works now could be yeah, it's exactly like that. It's like, I think this practice is probably actually great. It's just there's this, there's this, this self that I have that is in the way. Exactly. In the way of my own progress, of winning, of acknowledging success, so of being it. free. It's just in the way, and it drop makes it. everything a problem. Drop it. <laughs> Well, it's great that you see that. At least you see what the issue is, right? Like, I know. And, like, 
and like that's that's like huge success because like you know most people don't see that yeah so oh bye rick Great see you. Yeah. see you, Rick. It was great seeing you again. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Bye. If I could drop it, I would. Oh, but you, but you can't. But you can't. Like we all can. I mean, like you know, it's it's. We're we're back to we're back to this. I know, that contains frustration. Mm-hmm. Right. I know. I've been there. I've done it. I've heard it all before. Yeah. But then again, we come to that head heart gut model you know in the head right now oh yes i'm feeling that so <laughs> yeah too much knowing in the head is great mm-hmm. but it's not the whole show yeah okay that's what makes and it so frustrating because how do i make it what 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 is what is the uh, what is the natural progression you're pointing to, Dan, that would allow me to experience more of the show? Then? Allow me Smile. to demonstrate. <laughs> I've heard it all before. <laughs> but you're smiling, though, huh? Yes, I'm smiling. But this doesn't count, does it? It counts for right now. You're not allowed to Perfect. smile, Alex. What else? That's it. That's it. That's all that exists. What else has this ever been about? There's nothing else that exists, you know? Like, all the experiences that you have in your head that you're, like, really, like, stuck on that reality being possible, it doesn't exist right now, you know? It's just an experience. And the more that we, like, tell ourselves about those experiences, those big mind-blowing things, the more they get, like, blown out of proportion and written in new ways... And where, like, yeah, because I can guarantee you when when you were in the moment of whatever that moment was that you were referring to, like, I think the description that you gave us would be different than the description when you were there, right? And so, like, realizing this, that, like, there's literally only right now, like, that that's it. You know, it's all in, a, in, in our heads. It's like, it's it. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I know, I know it's hard. I mean, I... I've been there before. Like, I just, I say it because, like, I want to help. Because, like, you know, I think we all do because we've been there. And we're like, fuck, I I mean, it sucks, you know? Like, because you know it's so clear that it's just awesome right now, you know? Like, that's it. That's it. And I think you're you're looking for more than that, brother. And you're going to be disappointed. As long as you're looking for more than than what you just experienced right there, then um, see you, David. Bye, bye, DJ. Great to see you. Um, yeah, as long as you're looking for more than that experience that you just had, that is good right now, you're bound to be disappointed. Okay. And that makes it all so much easier because now you only have to think about one moment. Yeah, it's con- it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to everything else because, like, mm-hmm. that's the thing that's so difficult about it is that, like, the more you want it, the less it's going to, like, be there. Like, this yeah. is just the natural thing of it, you know. Yep. Like Nora was talking about, everything we have, we kind of take it up as a as something you should do. I should do this, and 
what meditation practice is, is dropping those shoulds. So originally we take it up as something we should do, but the whole practice is um, when you're telling yourself you should do something, <laughs> change that thought to something that's more wholesome. And it's 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 mind-boggling because there I can see a part within me that actually wants disappointment or wants enthusiasm. <laughs> Good seeing. And if there was if there was like a magic button, okay, if I I could push to, to do like to have like complete freedom or to be uh, in this disenthusiastic state, I would just choose the complete freedom, but. It's it's like as much as I want to go further, as much as I want to heal and let go of things, there is like an opposite or equal reaction that says, no, you can't. You have to go at this pace. It's like there's something else controlling. Do you guys know what I mean? It feels yes. like there's something else controlling this whole thing, no matter how much the the angel or the all seeing light within me sees how far this could go or sees that this could go a whole nother way. There's like something else there that is controlling the whole show and I can't do anything about it other than watch or complain about it. Do, do you know the story about the Buddha under the rose apple tree? No. It's Not familiar one. with that one? I'm going to leave you guys to it at this point and go see Debbie. Okay. She goes to sleep, but yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. Great to all see right. you all. Dan. Love you guys. I'll catch you all next week. Yeah. yeah really appreciate it.